Principal Skinner, um, I'm real sorry about my dog getting you fired and biting you and then getting it on with your leg. Well, maybe it was for the best. Now I, I finally have time to do what I've always wanted, write the great American novel. Mine is about a futuristic amusement park where dinosaurs are brought to life through advanced cloning techniques. I call it Billy and the Clonosaurus. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done, and then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. Didn't you think this was... seller list for 18 months! Every magazine cover had it. Popular movies of all time, sir! What were you thinking? I mean, thank you. I'll come again. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I am Ross Bacon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How is everyone doing? And as you all should know by now, we are a podcast who cracks open a beer and we talk about some movies. Now, tonight we are uh, officially finishing up our summer blockbuster Bonanza. I guess we'll go in. Yeah. I binge last week. Let's go with Bonanza. Yeah. That's more. Yeah, fun. I like Bonanza. Bonanza is a little that. more fun than binge. Yeah. So we're going to we're finishing uh, officially our summer blockbuster Bonanza and. Unlike the previous two weeks, we're going to go in opposite order of release uh, because we feel like uh, the one that would have come out that came out first is the one we're going to have a lot more to say. So uh, yeah, that's the last two weeks we went amazing, great, meh. Yeah. So this week we're going to go meh, uh, great, amazing. That's right, and we're going to be talking about 1996's Independence Day, specifically July 3rd of 1996, and then we're going to talk about 1996 which is May, I think it was 23rd, either way it was May of 96. We're going to talk about Mission Impossible. And then we're going to talk about the granddaddy of them all, 1993's Jurassic Park. So before we even get into that, though, we have to discuss what we are drinking. So Mike, what do you got? All right, so the last two weeks, I went very movie-themed. This week, I'm going summer-themed because this will be our first episode release of the summer of 2021. Because okay, summer, totally, yeah, yeah, because yeah, what, Monday's the 21st, that's the first day of summer, right? <laughs> yeah, summer, yeah, that's tomorrow, we record yeah. on Sundays, that's the, we're recording this on Father's Day at the moment, and uh, yeah. yeah. So awesome. I went with Forgotten Boardwalk's Funnel Cake Beer. That's a good one. I do, I love this beer, I, this is one of the ones that I've had plenty of times before, and I will continue to drink it, rocking 5.5%, right in the great zone. Um, and it is classified as a boardwalk ale brewed with lactose and vanilla beans. And yeah, it really is reminiscent of a funnel cake flavor. It's great. I love it. I love forgotten boardwalk. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, that one's that one's a good one. And uh, yeah, I went on the opposite end. I went more movie themed as I'm, I'm like before when I was going summer themed. So Mike and I went opposite as well. Um, I went to, uh, cause we went there for dinner tonight and I didn't have time to shop anywhere else. Uh, we went to, I went to Iron Hill Brewery and I got clock out American lager now American because of independence day. It's a very American movie. It is. And, uh, it's got a little, a little worker, man, you know, there's a little whistle blowing, you know, it's like a factory worker and, uh, he's got a little American flag and it's American lager and. 5.5%, so I'm right there as well. Yep, same exact percentage. <laughs> Drinking it out of my uh, drunken teacher's lounge mug from Ship Bottom. And uh, even though I have a Father's Day mug that my daughter gave me today, it's uh, it's not sufficiently chilled enough to be able to drink out of tonight. 
Gotcha. But yeah, it's very good. I had a couple of these at dinner and I'm having more now. So you know, sometimes <laughs> it's a shame we don't record because we don't get to see Ross's cat's hijinks. <laughs> yep. Z is now on the back of the chair. She's doing whatever she wants to do. Just walking around, fucking shit up. She doesn't care. Do you? Nah, she doesn't. Cats don't care. Cats don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, cats don't give a shit. Yeah, she's uh, she's doing something, which I'm sure if she messes something up, we'll hear it. But anyway, so let's get into it. Let's get into the eh, movie of the week, which is July 3rd, 1996's Independence Day, starring William Smith from Philadelphia, PA, and uh, Jeff Goldblum, who we will talk much more about a little bit later. And it's uh, Bill Pullman and directed by the summer blockbuster Demolition Man, Roland Emmerich. <laughs> now, this movie, it, it kind of like E.T., where I don't particularly love the movies, but I don't particularly hate the movies. And they no. both have bright spots that are pretty easy to point out. Ma- mainly the main three guys in this with Will Smith, Bill Pullman, and Jeff Goldblum all Absolutely. give very entertaining performances and they're all... It's always fun to have them on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And this is Will Smith's big breakout movie. This was Mm -hmm. filmed, uh, it was as I think, or right after Fresh Prince ended. And um, because Bad Boys, I believe, was his very first uh, like major feature film. Because he did like Six Degrees Separation, but he hadn't been the star of anything. And Bad Boys was the first breakout of that. And then, of course, we got Independence Day, which. skyrocketed him to the will smith we all know and then eventually we got men in black which is right which i think was the next year i think that was 97 yeah i believe so but uh but yeah and then of course this is how we get will smith and uh in the movies and of course we'd also had already had bill pullman as uh you know lone star in space balls and all kinds of other stuff but then of course there is the the man himself jeff goldblum and Oh boy, he doesn't quite go bloom it up in this one like he will in the, no. next, in the next movie we're going to talk about. But. No, he doesn't go full Jeff Goldblum. We we get we get like uh, we get like fifty percent Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> we get and because it's um it's of the stereotypical nature that his dad is uh, Judd Hirsch. He's a very stereotypical Jewish guy, is what Judd Hirsch is. He's basically Jackie Mason in this movie, but he's just not Jackie Mason, you know. But Jeff Goldblum is very much, you know, the, the the Jewish son in this movie. And he's not quite Goldblooming, but he's more of like a serious, semi-sort of serious type of character. Yeah, this is, so like, if you're going with Jeff Goldblum, like percentages, we're getting probably like 40% Goldblooming here. Yeah, we got about, yeah, I'd say wattages. Yeah, he's, he's, like, a, he's like a soft white light bulb in this. And then, and then we get to uh, Jurassic Park, where you're probably getting like 75 to 80% Goldblum. So I was going to say, you're getting high-powered spotlight. With, uh, and then you get to like Thor Ragnarok. That's when you just get 100% Jeff Goldblum. That's like, you don't even give him a script. You just you know, go, be yourself. Be yourself, Jeff. <laughs> right, because at this point in his career, he's just Jeff Goldblum. You know, he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. <laughs> he's just, he just does what he does best, which is be <laughs> awesome. You know, and... Uh, but the, in this movie, there are so many actors in this movie that have been in, literally, I think if you look at the cast of this movie, you've probably seen them in every movie ever, at least one of them, you know, because they are everywhere in this movie. And, 
of course we start off with Randy Quaid. You know, it, except Nicolas Cage isn't in this movie, which That's we all right. know brings shame upon his dojo. That's of course, yeah. He, I mean, he should be in this movie. You know, this, this is a Nicolas Cage movie. This has all all the uh, main things that Nicolas Cage movie has. That's the thing, like, yeah, the dialogue's either whispered or screamed, and everything's on fire. (laughs) He's like, I hear there there are snacks provided between (laughs) shoot. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, if he was, if Cage was in this movie, he would be Randy Quaid. Yeah. And the movie would focus on him as opposed to everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. His coming to terms or whatever, trying to get people convinced that he was abducted by aliens and they are legitimately (laughs) real, which is like... (laughs) opposite of what happens in this movie with randy quaid because the aliens are absolutely real they're sitting right fucking there and everyone still is like well that randy quaid he thinks he got abducted by aliens you know it's like no he probably fucking did now imagine imagine he had built he played the president he was bill pullman who randy quaid no 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 <laughs> nicholas cage yeah, cage would be, that'd be great now uh, Nicholas Cage giving the famous speech. <laughs> that would be great. It's our Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> Just to like that Nicholas Cage like hand thing that he does. That'd be fun. But yeah, it's there's so many fucking people in this movie. And like I said, like Randy, it's everybody and like and it's Randy Quaid like pretending to be crazy as opposed to what he is nowadays, which is legitimately insane. <laughs> now this movie outside of like like i i do think you're getting solid characters and actors but outside outside of that this movie is a mess (laughs) it is and it takes you a full 22 minutes to get will smith on screen which is never good for any movie and even then he's not he's not really a, a main character it's really the president's movie it's bill pullman's movie and jeff goldblum's it's not necessarily Will's. Which yeah, I Will's guess, definitely the more tertiary character of like your yeah, main and guys. like for the time that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. But like two years later, having Will yeah. Smith be your third tier level uh, character that's that's unfathomable. You can't even that's, think. Yeah, Bill Pullman's definitely. I would say Bill Pullman's probably the biggest star of the three at this point. I don't know. This is post Jurassic Park Jeff Goldblum, so. Well, Goldblum was also in The Fly. He was yeah. in all kinds of stuff. You know, he was he was a name. He was all he was a yeah. big name. But the '90s were huge for for Jeff Goldblum, especially yeah. with the two movies we're talking about tonight. But yeah, and it's that's the thing. It's like Vivica a. Fox is in this mm-hmm. thing as a stripper with a heart of gold. You know, there there's so many storylines in this movie. And never and, will you see a more ridiculous shot than the dog jumping away from the explosion. <laughs> which apparently because a fire an explosion is going down a tunnel, a fire, as we all know, can't turn corners or go in doorways. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's just a fact of life that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, Roland Emmerich and his uh his um specific explosions, I guess I'll call them. <laughs> which really you could take two routes with your character surviving close proximity explosions and we're very much getting those two schools of thought with the first two movies we're talking about tonight where with this movie it's fire can't turn with the next movie it's explosions no big deal as long as you're moving away from it slightly 
exactly yeah it's like uh it's it's the exact scene that the other guys makes fun of yeah. <laughs> like how is everybody so calm in movies after this that was loud <laughs> oh my god i'm in so much pain <laughs> <laughs> my ears i think i have soft tissue damage maybe right. not hard tissue but definitely soft tissue <laughs> right it's like that's exactly what would be happening you know it's you're you'd be deaf you'd be burned at least a little bit you know? <laughs> And of course, if you're just in a little alcove of a tunnel that's being filled with fire, you're absolutely being lit on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, so this movie, it's, I don't know. It has its moments. It has its characters. Well, it's a very 90s, like, blockbuster. It doesn't know? hold up very well. No. I mean, like, the effects are meh at best well that's well that's the thing they're all practical effects yeah and you got to give Roland Emmerich credit for that because they're all practical except for you know like the blowing up of the White House but even that is a model you know it's you're getting model work here no, like I it's incredible that it's all practical effects because when they show the scene where they're like walking in front of Air Force One I've never seen a faker looking plane. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think a lot of the dumb shit is like green screen, you mm-hmm. know? So there's like a lot of like background shit that's just green screen. But the majority of the stuff in this movie, like the stunts and the effects and all that in this movie are all practical. Like they were done in camera. But one of the, like the, one of the weirdest things is how, like I, like we said, this is such a 90s blockbuster, like compared to the ones we've already talked about, which have like heart, story, wit good writing all of that this movie is nothing but catchphrases for a trailer and scenes for a trailer that's all it is and everything else is just kind of padded in there and then you think oh how do we uh how do we defeat these uh this super technology from these aliens we use a windows laptop (laughs) a fucking windows laptop which of course as we all know windows 95 would have interfaced perfectly with super advanced alien technology so (laughs) (laughs) now i'm not sure if is so the whole uh viruses killed the aliens in war of the worlds that was that the original ending of the radio play no 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 like the movie war of the worlds Oh, I don't remember. I've, I've, it's been so long since I've seen that piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, but was that, a, I'm trying to think, was the Tom Cruise one a remake of an older movie? No, it was, it was a movie version of the radio play. Okay. But it kind of came out at the same time as that Keanu, um, the, what's the, the day the earth stood still? Yeah. It, it came out around the same time as that. Okay. Well, Apparently, War of the Worlds decided to go with the same exact thing, just, you know, not computer virus, real virus. Yeah, it's it's the whole kill the queen, the rest will die kind of situation. Kill the head vampire, the rest of your vampires are going to die. It's, it's a very easy way to end your massive, gigantic intergalactic war because you can't show four hours of people rounding up the rest and killing the leftovers, you know? Fucking Game of Thrones, man. <laughs> what <laughs> i thought you were gonna say fucking avengers because that's what they did <laughs> game, game of thrones, thrones man war with the white walkers Arya just does a little stabby stab to the night king and... yeah i mean that's just that's just bad writing is yeah. what that is. and it's it's laziness because they saw the end light at the end of the tunnel but little now, stabby stab <laughs> yeah exactly i mean that's all it is but with this it's like we have our giant intergalactic threat 
how do we fit how do we end this even though we've established that they're essentially unbeatable unless you knock out the shield but oh let's have the the little signal that goldblum finds in the the laptop in the satellites let's have that be their weakness like okay that makes sense well how do we use that against them oh we use a windows 95 laptop and um a virus that we just make the fuck up it's like oh Oh, okay. <laughs> Usually you write viruses based on whatever uh, uh, operating system they're going to exploit. But no, I mean, why not? Just make some shit up, you know? Well, no, don't you know, intergalactic species run Windows. Bill Gates involved. <laughs> yeah, Bill Gates was just, he was just that ahead of everything. <laughs> that he was light years ahead. Literally. Bill Gates is an alien. Right. I mean, he, <laughs> he just, he came here with the technology and made it uh, the most, you know, revolutionary operating system in um in computer history but as we all know yes he was an alien and uh, that's why we had the story independence day because it's based off of bill gates's life <laughs> yeah yeah bill gates wrote independence day <laughs> no it's loosely based off of bill gates's autobiography <laughs> by the way that the windows laptop is like primer like prime placement in this i wouldn't doubt it that it was like gates. bill gates and uh the coca-cola company <laughs> exactly yeah and um the unnamed uh, cigar company that made the uh, the not Cubans that Will Smith, Harry Connick Jr., and Jeff Goldblum uh, uh, smoke. Oh, and speaking of, Harry Connick Jr., how do you know it's a 90s movie? Uh, Harry Connick Jr. is present. <laughs> Being the worst idiot asshole southern redneck stereotype, I like annoying fighter pilot I've ever seen. Like, fuck that guy. Come on, what are we doing? <laughs> All right, if you're recasting this movie... For today, who are you casting? Because I already know I, I'm casting John C. Riley as Randy Quaid. Yeah, that works. But like if for Harry Connick Jr., I would put like a trash bag in place of him because <laughs> literally anything is better than him. That dude sucks. And I don't know how he had a career. <laughs> I'm trying to think who, like, who are you casting at Michael B. Jordan as Will Smith? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you pretty much have to. Um, I mean, I feel like it would have been had he had he still been alive. It would have been Chaz, Chadwick Boseman, you know, somebody like that. Yeah, he's, he's a little more. He was a little more like artistic with his choices after Black Panther, but mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, Michael B. Jordan is probably absolutely your Will Smith stand-in. Yeah. Um, because Will Smith, obviously, as we know, couldn't be bothered to get out of bed for the sequel, so they threw an oil painting up in the, like one of the White Houses or something of him. But, yeah, so, and then they I, got uh, the lesser Hemsworth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, so he's not coming back, but, yeah, so, I mean, like, it's weird, though, because I kind of want Goldblum to stay Goldblum, you know? Yeah. I don't want to put anybody else in there. I just want to stay Goldblum. Yeah, it's hard to recast Goldblum. I'm trying to think who you might be able to put in. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's like with the Point Break remake. Like, you you can't put fucking Ray Winstone as um, Gary, um, Gary Busey. Like it, it, that's not a trade right there. That's completely different actors, a completely different role, you know? Um, Absolutely not comparable. If I had to throw someone in, I kind of like the idea of James McAvoy. I don't hate that casting. He could be interesting. But yeah, he could be really interesting. Because, I mean, he's got the range. He's a great actor. So, like, yeah. he could do... He could do like unbelieved science, like non like scientists no one believes, like crackpot scientists, essentially. I kind of like that casting. Even though he is, like, Goldblum's character is an MIT, like, grad, like, brilliant engineer who just chose not to be 
you know, the greatest scientist ever, you know, because he wanted to like, I don't know, save the environment or some shit. He's got some like jag against the like recycling jag or like pro like pro environment jag in this movie. And it's like, okay, I guess we had to throw that in because it's the 90s and people were recycling. <laughs> Another potential one sticking with X-Men first class, you could try out Nicholas Holt. Maybe. I would rather see Fastbender though. <laughs> Just because I think he's a better actor. Yeah, I do think Fastbender's a better actor, though I'm not sure he's like I. I think McAvoy can pull off nerdy better than Fastbender probably right. can. Yeah, I mean, because Fastbender is almost like all of his roles after Magneto have been like, oh, I'm the cool guy, you know, yeah. like that's what he is. It's he's not he's not like Robert Pattinson who's just gotten weird with some of his shit, mm-hmm. you know, like the Lighthouse and um. Good yeah, the time. Lighthouse is great. <laughs> Yeah, and then like Good Time, where he's like even crazier. And then who we casting as Bill Pullman? Uh, whoever plays a good president right now, you know, it's uh, I don't know, because you gotta kind of get like a little bit of an older gentleman, like not quite a young guy, but not quite an old man, you know? Yeah. I mean, Ryan Gosling's like almost at that stage of his career, you know? (laughs) So like you throw him in there, that'd be interesting. Imagine the Ryan Reynolds in as a as the Ryan Reynolds in as Jeff Goldblum. Why not? Yeah, or the president. Who cares? You know, it's yeah. Independence Day. Who gives a flying fuck? You know, that's true. It's not going to be that great to begin with. <laughs> but like, well, speaking of like casting, like Brent Spiner in this is so perfectly cast. Like Data from Star Trek: The Next Generation, he's so perfectly cast as like the eccentric scientist who's been working on aliens for fifty years or whatever or whatever. But, like, he's perfect. And the the first part is, it's, like, it's the absolute sequel, like, we got to make money off this IP situation, which has happened with this with the, the sequel they did. Because he absolutely dies in this movie. Yeah. And they find a way to write him back to life. And it's, like, well, all right, if we're scraping the barrel to bring Brent Spiner back, what are we doing, you know? <laughs> Should we yeah. be doing this to begin with? Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna <laughs> go off kilter. We're gonna bring in John Ham as Bill Pullman's character. Nice, I like it. Ham's <laughs> not in enough shit. I mean, he's not. Great. He's and, and we're solid. and if we're not giving him Bill Pullman's role, we're giving him like you get Robert Loja's voice for a little bit. You're, we're putting him in there. <laughs> Robert Loja, the most <laughs> most recognizable voice in Hollywood. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> You know, no, no, we'll go John Hamm as president and uh, Gilbert Gottfried as Robert Loza. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more Patrick Warburton is, yeah, there you go, putty, get putty in there, that'd be fun. But, like, I mean, with this movie, like I said, it's such a 90s blockbuster because Will Smith one punch knockouts a fucking armored alien, you know, yeah. it's like. All right, I get it. He's the hotshot swinging dick. Cool. But then, like, fucking Harry Connick Jr. is doing a Reverend Jesse Jackson impression. Like, come on, that's fucking racist, and we all know it, you know? (laughs) But there's all that. And then, of course, there's just everything that's so excessive about Roland Emmerich. Like, the dude, it can't write a concise movie all of his shit is so sprawling and ridiculous and insane like he needs somebody to look at his movies and go we can cut out the entire vivica a fox storyline don't need any of that shit 
We can kill the first lady right off the bat in the original explosions. We don't need to keep her alive for no goddamn reason. That's, I mean, like, it's like the day after tomorrow with this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's even, and like, that's the thing. That's an even worse example of this because yes. it's so long to get nothing. And the wor- the absolute worst example is the gods is his Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's oof, that's boy. really bad. <laughs> Talk about a summer blockbuster that shit the bed, you know, because that was ninety seven. That was his yeah. next movie, and yeah, that shit the bed because everyone had Jurassic Park dinosaur. Fever. Oh, like, perfect casting for perfect casting for the Bill Pullman role, Brian Cranston. Boom. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that that elevates it to a different level. So you got to make yeah. everybody else good. So you, that's why you keep Gilbert Gottfried. That's why you keep, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but I mean, like, if you, if you recast it, so like Michael B. Jordan, very good actor. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> James McAvoy, very good actor with good range. And then, honestly, I do, I think John C. Riley is actually a very good actor. He just doesn't, now. he's just, ever since, uh, Talladega Nights just hasn't really shown it. Well, yeah. Well, every time, I mean, he's a great comedic actor. He's shown that. But like, yeah, every time he's given like a Will Ferrell movie, he just fucks around because it's his buddy, you know. <laughs> but like, yeah, he's he can he can be a great serious. Like, actor. wasn't he a wasn't he like a Broadway performer for a while? I think so. He might have been because I, I know was he was in, like, in I know he was in Chicago and did like his own songs and everything. He was in the River Wild, like I'm pretty sure it was River Wild, but like his early career is like serious shit, and he's yeah. like really good in it. He's like one of the really good supporting actors of Hollywood, mm-hmm. which like, is why he would be awesome in Ran- Randy Quaid's role. Like it would almost be like Kong Skull, his role in Kong Skull Island. That's a, it's pretty much exactly what it would be, you know? Yeah, because uh, that's what Craig Quaid is. He's like a disgraced fighter, former fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. He's a crackpot, you know all that. The only thing the difference is, is that there's aliens instead of a giant monkey, you know, it's, <laughs> that's the only difference. But like to this movie's credit, though, there is there like and this is what the 90s blockbusters had that I, a lot of blockbusters nowadays absolutely do not have the legendary scenes. Yeah, like the White House and the Empire State Building blowing the fuck up is so legendary. It's insane. Well, you can, and then what well, with modern, you could go with what die which one was it live free or die hard where they literally just steal the white house explosion as their legendary scene yeah that's they literally use this movie and that's a great example of that because they're taking a much 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 better movie you know relatively speaking because they both suck but it's they're taking a shot that's so legendary yeah and that's like well we can't do it better so we might as well just use that you know but then there's the independent day speech that bill pullman gives and it's like come on you know as the rest of this movie might suck and but this speech is fucking classic you know it's yeah it's great it's one of the greatest speeches in movie history it's amazing it really is and And bill pullman is so good he is he plays a great president you know and then of course there's you know randy quaid's legendary line hello boys i'm back you know (laughs) As he flies a nuke into the uh, the heart of the spaceship. That um, so yeah, I would say, th- so this movie definitely has its downfalls in story and plot, but in terms of characters, and I'm not like, there are moments in the script, but the script's mostly pretty bad. Right. 
but the cat like the actors managed to do fairly well with it so yeah. they they keep it as an enjoyable movie to watch like i don't i don't think this movie is like a snore fest i don't it, it's pretty enjoyable yeah it's it's and that's the thing it's like it's got a decent pace to it it's, it's fun it's long but it, it moves you know it's a quick move it's a fun but, movie yeah it's not bad it's a good brain killer blockbuster you know there's mm-hmm. there's not much to think about it's kind of stupid but it's it's a good you know way to just kind of kill a couple hours put it on fourth of july if you need to you know it's it's a good it's a good block it's a great blockbuster i'll tell you that it's it's and it kind of started the trend of blow everything the fuck up, you know, and be that grand with it, you know? Yeah. It, it, uh, it, it actually inspired the uh, Transformers movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's, I don't know if that's I, actually true, but I no, would believe also, it. is that something we want done? <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, it did win an Oscar for best effects. Well, because the effects look great. They really do. Like, the practical effects are amazing. I, I guess my issue with the effects is the li- there's no attention paid to the little shit in the inconsequential scenes that make me go, oh, these effects haven't aged well. <laughs> well, that's because no one gives a shit about somebody standing in front of a fake Air Force One, you know? It's like people care about the White House blowing yeah. the fuck up and all that. But yeah, I like, guess that's just me being nitpicky. Yeah, you're being an asshole, Mike. What's the matter with you? Yeah, that's your job, isn't it? That's right. I'm the dick here. I'm the one who's supposed to say that's fucking stupid. <laughs> but uh, so speaking of fucking stupid, I'm kind of done with. Uh, we're talking about this fucking stupid movie. <laughs> All right, let me just let me just check the money made here. Oh, so, I already have it. I already have budget it. of seventy five million. Right. Worldwide saying, gross I of. It. I have it, so we don't need to play Mike Google's for twenty minutes. Which is what we did at the end of our last episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Independence Day, I have it's it uh oh fuck no I didn't I didn't actually it's like it's like four hundred thousand it's like eight hundred thousand something like eight hundred million dollars yeah it's it's budget seventy five million worldwide gross eight hundred seventeen million because the three movies we're gonna talk about tonight have a total block um, uh, box office of two point three billion dollars. And Mission Impossible is like four hundred something, something like that. But um, but yeah, it's it's this movie made an insane amount of money, obviously. And I can see why. Right, of course. Yeah, and it was at the time I remember seeing it in theaters. It was the biggest fucking thing around, and it even like of the two that came out within months of each other. Mission Impossible being the next one. It's like pop culture was so saturated with everything involving these two movies. Well, three that we're going to talk about. But Independence Day, everything was getting blown up like that, you know? And then when it, like the speech was everywhere. And then when Mission yeah. Impossible, we'll obviously get to the scene of Mission Impossible that was fucking everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, this movie is an absolute blockbuster is what it yeah, is. I would say that the speech in this movie is the second best speech of the 90s. First best being the Ducks Fly Together speech from D2, the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> you can't say it, but I just literally died and came back to life. <laughs> wow. That's a that's a hell of a comparison, I'll say that. I've been bold. Hey, that's the greatest speech in movie history. 
Yeah, Bill Pullman would probably be like, wow, I guess uh, all that hard work and dedication was for nothing. Okay. <laughs> if, if the Mighty Ducks 2, oh, I'm sorry, D2 can take care of, uh, can outrank me, then what has my career really been, you know? <laughs> well, to be fair, D2 outranks every movie ever. Greatest movie of all time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, Mike is coming in hot tonight. <laughs> so... That said, maybe we'll talk about some other movies that might be slightly better, in my opinion, at least. But so, Mike, why don't you? Uh, why don't we do a beer check in? You, uh... I just finished my first can, and I thoroughly enjoy this beer. It, it's like very refreshing. It doesn't sit that heavy in the stomach. It has a nice vanilla taste to it. That's really good. Yeah, talk about it some more. I gotta get a second one for me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it really seems feels like you're drinking funnel cake, but it doesn't sit in your stomach quite as heavily as funnel cake does. So I really, really like it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It is. It's uh that's one of my that's one of my if I do get forgotten boardwalk, that is one of my go-tos for that one. And then there's um there's the other one. It's like 1612 or something. That's a good one too. <laughs> it's it's a date, it's a year, is what it is. But uh, yeah, my clock out from Iron Hill is uh, going well. I'm on my second, my second can of the night in my drunken teacher's mug, lounge mug. But now we got to talk about May 22nd, 1996, Mission Colon Impossible, directed by the legendary Brian De Palma, starring one Thomas Cruise or Thomas Mapother the Fourth. Now this movie. One thing, what, what's what's the technique called? The Dutch lean or whatever? The, the Dutch, Dutch angle. Tilt, the, Dutch the Dutch angle. angle. They use that, like, I, that bothers me in a lot of movies because I feel like they don't use it right. But this movie, this movie uses it right. This It's Brian De Palma, man. Like, that dude is a fucking director is what he is, you know? And he he's so good at tension and suspense like the way he moves his camera, you look in this movie when he does the Dutch angles, especially in the uh, aquarium scene or the aquarium scene with the restaurant, everything in that like slowly builds and you're like, okay, what's going on? Then he hits the Dutch angles and you're like, oh shit, something's going to go down. Like what's this? I'm uneasy. What's happening yeah. right now? <laughs> now, one of my favorite things about this movie is we get an uncredited Emilio Estevez. <laughs> of course, yes, because he's only in the movie in the opening scene before he takes some uh, elevator tongs, which I didn't even know was a thing, to the eyes. <laughs> what, one of my biggest gripes with this movie is, move your head a little, Emilio. <laughs> yeah, just fucking flatten out or something. You, know? <laughs> you can dodge this. <laughs> right. There, there's, I feel like it's a, there's quite some time, too, for him to like, jump to another like train, like uh, elevator shaft or something. But, yeah, it's... But then again, of course, this was the 90s. We did love people dying in elevator shafts, you know, speed being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, oh, God. I I personally, like, the Mission Impossible franchise is so good. The second one, like, kind of being the exception, it's it's a good Mission Impossible movie, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> but, yeah, John Woo got a little weird with that one. But this movie is i love watching this movie all right it, this movie is so much fun to watch but it confirmed one thing for me what's that when we were talking about the movie badass challenges it confirmed to me that jason Bourne would have beat the fuck out of ethan Hunt. 
Well, it's because Ethan Hunt doesn't he doesn't fight anybody. You know, he's he's always a couple steps ahead of you when he's thinking. You know, but just some of his decisions in this movie, I feel like Jason Bourne clearly the better, uh, the better assassin, spy, whatever. Well, he's he's more of an assassin than a spy. <laughs> yeah, but they both involve espionage and sneaking around and whatnot. And I just feel like Jason Bourne is better. Well, that's because Jason Bourne has to sneak around because people <laughs> are trying to kill the motherfucker. You know, <laughs> Ethan Hunt is a like rookie CIA agent, basically, or MI5 agent, like special agent, trying to come to grips with the fact that his <laughs> he's somehow being set the fuck up, you know? <laughs> Like he's playing catch up most of this movie. And then there's a point where it turns where he, you realize that he's been like, Oh shit, I figured this out for a while. And it's when John Boyd comes back to life, quote unquote. Yeah. And he's telling, he's telling Ethan what happened to his team in quotes, because he's telling him, feeding him a line of bullshit. But what you're seeing is what's in Ethan's mind because he knows what the reality was. He's you. You got to give Tom Cruise so much credit because he manages to portray how he's feeling and say the lines at the exact same time. And it's, it's awesome. He's great. And that's, that's the thing that Top Gun doesn't let him do, you know, in Top Gun, he's just a big swinging cocky dick in the beginning. And then he all of a sudden has to, you know, be sad that his friend died. But in this movie, you see all kinds of range from this dude. You see action star. You see like an emotional, actual actor. You know, you see he's able to portray so much with only like minimal, like not screen time, but like minimal like chances really to do that. But the times that he does get to show like and uh, show what a great actor he is, he fucking nails it. Yeah. You know? And yeah, this this movie, you know, we're talking about John Voight more than didn't we talk about John Voight last week for some reason? Uh or two weeks uh, ago. Maybe. I don't remember. <laughs> I feel like John Voight's coming up more than he should be. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the dude's a famous asshole now, but I think we might have been talking about accents at one point and talked about anacondas, which is one of the better accents in movie history, his terrible uh, Cajun, yeah. Cajun question, big question mark accent. <laughs> that accent's up there with uh, Nick Cage's Connor accent. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? But it would. Now we've talked about the Palma. Obviously, we talked about Cruz. But the writer of this movie, one of the writers, is we're going to talk about him next too because it's David Cap. This dude wrote Jurassic Park. He wrote The Lost World. He wrote Carlito's Way. Snake Eyes, speaking of Cage. He wrote the Toby, first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. He wrote Indiana Jones and the Christ, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which, in my opinion, was probably fucked up by Lucas after uh, he finished his like draft. Then he also did The Mummy. So that's back with Tom Cruise. But it's like, this guy's got some credits behind him. And uh, in the, 90- the mummy, The Mummy's a bit of a take it's a discredit more than a credit well you can well that's like him and that and indiana jones it's late career cap so you could probably be like oh he just wants a boat you know so he's writing the mummy you know but then there's also robert town is a writer of this which is the last detail chinatown days of thunder the firm and mi2 like he did three cruise movies as well and of the two through five i just listed two jack nicholson movies you know and so this dude is just like these two 
know how to write great movies for great actors and like especially the 90s you know so these guys fucking nail it and all right so i guess we should talk about the vault scene (laughs) that scene absolutely is absolutely incredible it's amazing and it's again all practical (laughs) you know it's it's a scene where tom cruise did it (laughs) (laughs) there is a gripe there is a gripe with it let me get what's that mike is it so the tapping when, of the keys probably should have set off the alarm? No. Yeah. <laughs> it was. So Tom Cruise is inches off the floor. That is and crazy. that sweat drop is about to, and he catches it with his hand. Somehow. Is he dislocating his arm to go get that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, how does he How does he not touch the floor and all that? But yeah. But yeah, that whole sequence is great. But then again, you know, it also involves giving a man, like, diarrhea. I feel like we did that a lot in the 90s. (laughs) We randomly gave people diarrhea for the hell of it. They didn't just choose to fire the guy. They're like, we're sending him to Alaska. Fuck him. That is one of my favorite lines of the movie. I want him manning of, uh, he's like, I want him manning a radar tower in Alaska by the end of the day. Just mail him his clothes. <laughs> it's like, that's some dark disappear this man's CIA shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> this- the, the extra line of just mail him his clothes is yeah. such a great ad. <laughs> yeah. Now, there, there, okay, so this movie aligns very well with Indiana Jones and uh, and Back to the Future, where I feel like there are some minor gripes with it, but overall, great movie. <laughs> well, what's your minor gripes? All right, so she's spraying the stuff into his coffee. Is That, that coffee's very well in his peripheral vision. He should have seen that. Well, it's just the way he sits. I, I always, I have more of a problem with the way he sits. Yeah. Because, like, when two perfect strangers sit next to each other, that's not how you sit, you yeah. know? <laughs> you don't, like, put your back, like, to them, like, diagonal while you're reading the paper, and they're, like, just over your shoulder. You know, that's not how you sit, and his coffee is way over to the left, <laughs> you know? It's like, who hey, does that? What an asshole. The, the floor in the vault is, like, mirrored, and he's bent over, he's looking at the ground, bent over a trash can. How is he not seeing a reflection of a dude dangling over him? Well, he's focusing on puking his brains out. Yeah, but you notice something like that. That's some. (laughs) Not if you're puking your brains out, you might not. I feel like uh, you gotta know, like, hey, there is someone very clearly behind me in this reflection. That's something that catches my eye, even if I'm puking. Nah, you can't prove that. (laughs) But yeah, well, that's the thing. Like when he sees the knife, like it's like, oh, and he looks up. And there's nothing there. It looks around. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Some horrifying shit had to have happened here. And then, of course, which is even better, because this is the thing that a lot of movies do. Iron Man did it as well. Whenever the nefarious stealing of the computer files happens, mm-hmm. the computer always rats out whoever it was. They're always yeah. like, oh, file downloaded. You know, no computer's ever done that. Yeah. <laughs> and any thief of, like, computer files is going to be like, hit the little X of, like, the little the little alert. And be like, okay, we're back to normal. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, that vault scene where Tom Cruise does the, you know, spread eagle, like flying, he's trying to keep his balance flat without touching the thing. You couldn't get away from people trying to parody that in the night. You know, it was fucking everywhere. Just like, and it's just like almost every scene in Jurassic Park that we're going to talk about next. Mm -hmm. But every part of this movie is such 
an influence on so much, so many more movies in the future. Like every heist movie has the scene where the plan is getting explained. And nowadays you can't do a heist movie without actually showing how the plan is going down at the same time it's being explained. Cue and the Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> well, yeah, this is the one of the ones that did it the best. Because what you're seeing is everything actually going down but you're also seeing like how impossibly tough it's actually going to be like they don't make it seem like oceans 11 where it's yeah. like oh we did this and it's all done and look how awesome it was oh here's a little reveal of how we actually did it you know what more heist movies need to do they need to embrace the original oceans 11 and have the ending like a colossal fuck up by like yeah. we put all the money in the casket with the dude and he end up getting cremated so all the money got burnt Right. Yeah. Like that's I really do want to see that. It's like I want to see more Oh yeah, you, you want to see more heist gone wrong, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's and of course we haven't even fucking mentioned him yet. Ving goddamn reigns in this movie as Luther. The dude is awesome. And he is. It's it's so bad now because obviously this was 1996, well before he was the Arby's voice. So now it's like every time you see him on screen, you just want to go, we have the meats. It's like, oh, Vang, what have you done? <laughs> oh, no. Why, why'd you do that? <laughs> what have you done now? You're all, you were fucking, you were Marcellus Wallace. You were in Mission Impossible. What's going on? <laughs> God. This, so, yeah, this movie, the action's awesome. The acting's awesome. The, the dialogue is awesome <laughs> like yeah it's great like everything about this and it's so it's so easy to see why they made a f- gigantic series about like franchise about this now there are some decisions that you go ha huh, does that make sense like him going back to the hideout right yeah it's that is one where it's like wait wouldn't that be like the first place people look or go to or whatever now you can explain that away as only the people involved in the mission knew where the base was. Right. But I feel like maybe the rest of the sea, like Kittredge would know where it is. Yeah. I, feel. I feel like he'd absolutely, or at least know the vicinity, you know, mm-hmm. if they can find, if they can track through a floppy disk where Max is going to put it in the laptop and find the floppy disk, mm-hmm. they can absolutely find a Voight who they should more than likely be keeping tabs on anyway, because it turns out he's a fucking mole, you know? Yeah. But yeah, and of course, you know, but this this is another movie that has so many people in it. I mean, you have Henry Zerny, which is Kittredge. You have John Renault, who's Krieger. Of course, you have Kristen Scott Thomas, Vanessa Redgrave. There's, Vanessa Redgrave was awesome in this. As she's Max. the best as Max. She's awesome. But then, of course, you have... Like one of the perfect '90s only actresses, which was Emmanuel Baird as Claire. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she was never in anything else that anybody saw. <laughs> yeah, I I'm going through her movie uh, things now. And it's nothing. It's just full of nothing. You know, I I'm going through it as well, and I can't think of a single goddamn thing. But I think it's because she was also French. Maybe she did a lot of French shit. You know? Yeah. So French cinema is famously French cinema, you know, but hey, it doesn't... one of my all-time favorite movies is French, which is the untouchables. 
Yeah, of course you do. You you love that fucking movie. I do love that movie. You love that fucking movie. Great movie. Omar Sy is the man. Yes, he's a guy. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of uh, Jurassic World, <laughs> that's <where laughs> Omar Sy in that. But uh, yeah, it's again, and it's like everything about this movie, like all. The, and this is the thing. This is, of course, you know, it's just, it's a a symptom of a franchise because they find the one thing that's like the big thing, which is the masks in this. The masks in the Mission Impossible franchise have kind of gotten ridiculous, but at least the better as it's gone on, they've only used it like once and they use it kind of like in an inconsequential moment, like just like the initial missions when they use it. So, but when they reveal at the end of this, that John Voight is actually Tom Cruise in this, when he pulls that mask off, I remember being in the theater saying this to me like, yeah, holy shit. You know, I didn't see that shit coming, you know? <laughs> and now the other thing that they carry over to other movies is Tom Cruise hanging on to a speeding automobile. <laughs> yeah, or speeding something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and in this, I'm trying to think, we don't get Tom Cruise running this. We This is like the one that we don't get it in. And it's ironic yeah. because it's the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. yeah so this Cruise is a franchise where it's like, I think they get better as they go on besides like two. Like the later two, one, two is a bit of a miss. It's obviously a misstep, but it's it's almost like a natural sequel for the time. Yeah, you know, like John Woo had to be the director for that, and of course he's going to make it weird like John Woo normally would. He's going to make it like face off with fucking spies. But like you go to you go to Mission Impossible three, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing. He's awesome, and even J.J. Abrams is like pretty decent at directing that yeah but hoffman's a fucking amazing ghost protocol is one of my favorite like movies in general it's so good you know ghost protocol is uh rated better than the original yeah it's a really good movie and for it to be the fourth movie in a franchise and be that good is fucking crazy rogue nation is also rated better than the original it's a in that and that's another good one, you know, and that's that's even better because that's got Renner in it, and he famously was on. I forget what he picked to do, but he was because of whatever movie he picked, he was unable to be in both Mission Impossible Fallout and Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> So he missed the two biggest movies of that year because he decided to do whatever the fuck movie it was that he did. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout is the highest rated of the Mission Impossible movies. Personally, of that series, it's like Protocol and Fallout are right there. I well, love- I mean, I'm never going to hate the decision to put Simon Pegg in a movie. Well, yeah, and then we get him. I think he shows up in three is when he, we yeah. start getting him. But, um, and I, I do. Philip Seymour Hoffman is my favorite villain of the series of the entire uh, series. I think. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. He is, he's great because the other, I'm trying to remember if he is just a straight up terrorist, <laughs> and not what everyone else is like in every Bond movie. Everyone's an X double O whatever agent who yeah. wants revenge in the mission impossible that's the one biggest gripe i have with the franchise is that every villain 
is an ex-agent that wants revenge, you know? So it's very much rips off of the James Bond trope. Yeah. But I don't think Hoffman is that. I If I can't remember correctly, but I think he's just an evil dude, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, and I think it's Arrival is the movie that Renner was doing that couldn't, that he couldn't do uh, Fallout or uh, Avengers in uh, Infinity War. It was like, all right, it's a decent movie, but dude, you missed a giant paycheck. <laughs> but, so, like... Also, so, like, not to keep going to the sequels, because this, the first movie is amazing, but it's one of those series where the sequels are just awesome. It's kind of the opposite of Jurassic Park that we're going to yeah. talk about. <laughs> but, like, so, one of the best, like, the villain lines, where you get Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's like, who are you? What's your name? Do you have a wife, a girlfriend? Because if you do, I'm going to find her, and I'm going to hurt her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's so terrifying in that movie. That's, because that's also the one where we get, like, the human side of Ethan Hunt, where he's just trying to be a regular dude, too. Yeah. Yeah, and this movie it does suspense really well. It does, I mean, in ter- in terms of actual movie making, everything is on point from directing all the way to acting. Yeah, and that's Brian De Palma, you know, because yeah. he that dude's such a presence and a control freak that there's mm-hmm. no way this movie couldn't be good just mm-hmm. because he wouldn't allow it, you know. And same thing with Tom Cruise, like they're not going to allow this movie to be bad. Yeah, you know? Tom Cruise. They both deserve a ton of credit for this franchise going where it did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because if you get a lesser performance from Tom Cruise, it doesn't become a franchise. Exactly. Yeah, and of course his passion because he's one of the ones that wanted to bring it to the screen as well. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, he's a producer on it, right? I think I, he's a I producer. think it's all of them. Yeah, he absolutely produces all of them now. But um. But yeah, like the dude's got when, and now he's obviously got, he's king of Hollywood. He can do whatever the fuck he wants nowadays. And so like, if he wants to make a movie and make it well, he's going to be able to do it. Cause he can say, Hey, I'm Tom Cruise. Greatest actors we have right now and greatest directors come work with me. You know, it's, it's a crazy off the wall. I don't know why, but now I'm just picturing Tom Cruise from Tropic Thunder, just running Hollywood. Just being less Grossman, yeah, less Grossman. <laughs> but that'd be great. Like you see, like when Tom Cruise wants to make Mission Impossible Seven, he becomes less Grossman to recruit people. <laughs> you know? And I, I like to think after every movie successfully made, he dances to Ludacris. Right, exactly. And at some point, he tells somebody to fuck their own face. You know, <laughs> and he's always telling his lackeys that a nutless monkey could take their job. A nutless monkey could do your job. Yeah. Now go to the go to the after parties and take all the credit. <laughs> Seriously, a nutless monkey could do your job. Yes, Lev. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> he offers G fives <laughs> and a whole lot of money. But so that's probably enough for Mission Impossible, I would think. I'd say so. And so, Mike, how's your beer? Doing good. I'm on beer number three now. Nice, nice. I'm. They're only in twelve ounce cans, so I'm moving through them pretty quickly. And this beer is just very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, same with me. Oh, I get the hiccups. Sorry, my iron. I clock out from Iron Hill. I'm still uh, still going through my second one, but uh, it's 
It is delicious, except for the goddamn hiccups. God damn it. But, God damn it. You ever see right. a video where the puppy gets mad at its own hiccups? It, it like hiccups and growls at the hiccup. Nice. Of course. Why not? So, speaking of growling, we got some dinosaurs here. And it it is 1993's Jurassic Park, directed by the returning Steven Spielberg. Man. Man. I fucking love this movie. Yeah, I God, think this I is the this only movie. movie that Ross is more excited to do than any of the uh, Arnold movies. <laughs> You're fucking right. I love this goddamn movie. And when this movie's I amazing. This, yeah, when I say I've seen this movie 600 times, I'm pretty sure I've seen it 600 yeah, times. This is one of those movies I could just never get tired of. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing to dislike about this movie. Nothing. <laughs> I'll, I'll say one thing that as a child I disliked about this movie, and it's the sneeze scene. It grossed me out as a kid. Yeah, it's kind of nasty. But then you say, <laughs> oh, Ariana Richards is like the one that, you know, she had, to, she had to deal with that. And Spielberg, knowing that sadistic fuck that he is, he probably enjoyed that shit, you know? <laughs> like, I get to cover a little girl in fake snot. Let's do it. <laughs> That is the one that's the one scene that as a kid I was like, that's gross. <laughs> Did we need that? Did we need that Spielberg? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So now obviously with this movie, we need to play the box office game that we've been playing with the others. Because the others are chump change compared to this one. And this, this movie at the box office was 497 days in theaters. That's fucking unheard of nowadays. Yeah. That's insane. Well, this is one of those movies that you have to see in theaters. Now, I was not alive when this movie was released in theaters. I saw it in <laughs> But you always get Cinemark or AMC that does like their classic movie releases in theaters. And you know, this is always making the list because it will sell out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, <laughs> it, it was for a time, obviously it was the highest grossing movie ever. Highest grossing movie ever made. And it's, it made $1.034 billion. Billion. At the time in the nineties, that again, that's fuck you money is what we, yeah. we've called it. That is absolute fuck you money. And again, now though, since obviously since nowadays money means nothing to movies, it's it's all inflation and all that. All time worldwide top grossing films, it's number 41 now. The craziest thing though is in the top 50, there's only four movies that are from the 90s. The, the rest are from 2000 to the present. So you have this, you have the Titanic. This Titanic, Titanic is number three. Yeah. This is number 41. Lion King is number 30, okay. 1994's Lion King. And of course, the 1999's Star Wars Episode yeah. One: The Phantom Menace is number 43. Now, in the overall top 100, we get Independence Day at number 85. We get E.T. at 92. And we get Star Wars A New Hope at 97. So seven out of the top 100 worldwide grossing, top grossing movies of all time are from the 90s. The, 
the rest are from the 2000s. And the thing is, they're all sequels of some kind. You know, at Avatar, because James Cameron can't not be number one, he keeps re-releasing it whenever he gets Trump uh, by being number one to get a couple extra million million dollars. He's number one. It's it's an original thought. It's an original movie. It's, it's say what you want about Avatar. Personally, I think it sucks. Oh, but, it's it's Dances with Wolves. What do you mean it's original? Well, no. Compared to everything else on the list, mm-hmm. it is an original movie. Then there, then there's Avengers Endgame, which is a sequel. Then you have all of the Harry Potters. You have every other Marvel movie. These are all adaptations. Jurassic Park, yes, an adaptation. But Titanic, technically a story about history. But like they're, for the most part, original movies is what they are. Everything else is just a fucking sequel nowadays. So adjusted for inflation. This movie made $30 billion. This is ranked 18th. Yeah, it looks. Right. I don't. I don't know. So this is box office mojo. I'm looking at. I don't know how accurate it is. Box office mojo is pretty, usually pretty reliable. Gone with the Wind is the highest grossing movie of all time if you adjust for inflation. Well, yeah, because it was made in what the 1940s or some shit. 1939. Yeah, adjusted right for adjusted for inflation, lifetime gross, it's like. 1.85 billion yeah when when you're the only movie to come out that year and everyone in the world saw it of course it's going to make a lot of money at the time and then you inf- you adjust it for 90 years of inflation yeah absolutely a new hope is number two adjusted for inflation yeah, it makes sense too yeah, it makes sense too and then the sound of music is number three et is number four yeah it makes sense sound titanic's number five Ten Commandments, number six. Jaws, number seven. Dr. Zhivago's number eight. Exorcist is nine. And Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is ten. So all that right there. All those adjusted for inflation movies. They're all either book adaptations or like an original movie. There's no franchises there. Then uh, Eleven, you get your first franchise with Star Wars Episode Seven. Right. Yeah, it's like... Then you get 101 Dalmatians, Star Wars Episode Five, Ben-Hur, Avatar, Avengers Endgame, Star Wars Episode Six, Jurassic Park, Star Wars Episode One, and then The Lion King. Yeah, I mean, it's... There is absolutely a case to be made that if you want money, make a sequel. You know? Yeah. And, like, for Marvel, which, spoiler alert, we'll talk about next week, but... With the MCU, it's like it's they're printing money at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's it's kind of annoying because like it's like look, there's clearly a formula to the MCU. No one can have sex. No one's allowed to have sex at all. Um, everyone has to be witty and and cool. Well, not not since Iron Man. Iron Man's the only one that has confirmed gotten laid in the MCU. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the only thing. It's like. Well, now everyone in the Midwest has to like this movie. So we have to cut out the gays. We have to cut out the minorities. We have to make everyone sterile. No one can have sex. It can just be punching for America. That's all it can be. And it's it's just fucking annoying. Yeah. So when something like Jurassic Park, you look at this movie from 1993, practical effects out the ass, <laughs> plus g- 
great CGI that fucking holds up. <laughs> I I always argue second best practical effects of all time. Was the first was the first. The thing. Okay. Well, yeah, it's Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> but um and uh and Carpenter is what it is. But um yeah, not David Cronenberg. I'm the one I was thinking. Todd <laughs> Carpenter. But um it's very like Jurassic Park. It's it's jaws all over again because yeah. he was it's it's do, practical dinosaurs getting wet and not working. <laughs> so he had to he had to shoot around the difficulties. And that's why you need somebody like fucking Spielberg <laughs> to be able to do that. And now the again, this is this isn't a detriment to this movie, but it's a complaint about the movie. I wanted to see more of the dinosaurs. Like I more of the uh like actually just looking at how beautiful the dinosaurs were, not out of terror running away from a T-Rex. I wanted to see more grazing dinosaurs. I wanted to see, I, I don't know, I loved it. And my favorite moment in movie history is Welcome to Jurassic Park. It's Every. my favorite score in movie history. It It's 10 out of 10 chills every time i see it i could look it up on youtube right now and get goosebumps <laughs> every it's every time too it's like every time you watch it and every time that you know richard attenborough you know um performance just like welcome welcome to jurassic park you know it's like oh yeah we got let's do it let's fucking do it man let's go hammond yeah. you goddamn <laughs> madman <Let's> and then, <laughs> god john williams he just um the welcome to jurassic the jurassic park theme is so good it's it so is. good the whole score is the whole score is goddamn amazing oh and, and we didn't even bring up the mission impossible score but the mission impossible score is really awesome yeah like taking that iconic theme song and just making it you know was like, that danny elfman i think it was danny elfman i don't know it's somebody but but uh but yeah it's jurassic park there is so much about this movie like i said every Life scene finds a way yeah every scene is fucking legendary and every scene has been parodied in some way like the dinosaur looking in the car the water the water ripples the foot being put down these are all in the same scene mind you yeah they're all in the same sequence <laughs> <laughs> i I think it was college humor that does a scene again. We're I think this is the second week in a row we're bringing up college humor. <laughs> well, I am anyway. <laughs> but college humor does a thing where they're all in the car and they're like, "What?" And the T Rex is about to attack, and they're all like, "Well, someone has to die." And the the two up front they're like, "Well, we're the main characters, so we're gonna live." Um, and then the kids are like, "Well, we're kids, so we're gonna live." And so it comes down to. Uh, it comes down to Malcolm and the lawyer and Malcolm's like, well, I'm the comedic relief. So they're not going to kill me. Right. <laughs> and the lawyer's like, shit. So I got to die. <laughs> right. Yeah. Genera. Yeah. Genera. I think this used to be, Gen I think this was Genera. Yeah. I think this was too, but you know, where does he think he's going? When you got to go, you got to go. But uh, yeah, it's fuck. This movie is so goddamn good. But even when you just start at the very beginning, is it the best opening scene in movie history? I think it might be. It might be because it sets the tone for the entire movie. It's these workers waiting for a raptor to be a dinosaur, an unseen real creature to be brought in a box, and they're 
trying to get it out of the box into the park. And what happens? Some shit goes wrong and a worker gets fucking eaten. Right there, it's an amusement park, security, death by dinosaur, and you are getting just nothing but like great camera work from Spielberg. Because all you see is the raptor's eyes and you see it match with Muldoon and you hear the classic shoota shoota it's so good to set the I don't, tone. I don't know I so I love the opening scene for Indiana Jones another good one I love another the Spielberg. opening scene for a new hope nah and George Lucas disqualified let's just disqualify the like the second highest grossing franchise ever george lucas disqualified (laughs) you can't make three good movies and nine fucking terrible ones (laughs) honestly the best opening scene what might be a little bit of a hot take but one of the best opening scenes in a star wars movie is revenge of the sith yeah you're wrong I'm not. Because guess who? George Lucas. Lucas. Disqualified. <laughs> but I, I, I think I don't know. I'm also inclined to put Wally in the running. I mean, you know, Wally's pretty good. <laughs> Wally's pretty good. It's, it's again, like like I said, it's not George Lucas, so it can count. But but it's again, when you look at this movie, it's fucking Spielberg, you know. And yeah. this is at the height of his power. You know, this is peak Spielberg right here. Oh, and is Indiana Jones not at least partially George Lucas? Like I, like we established on that episode, George Lucas was on the couch in the room when it was being written by Spielberg and somebody else. <laughs> and he was like, hey, guys, what if you had a whip? And they were like, all right, whatever, George. He's like, well, can you put my name on the script? Like, yeah, fine. Shut the fuck up. Whatever. Let's put it on the script. And then they just actually wrote the movie. You know, <laughs> because George Lucas fucking sucks. <laughs> but with this movie, like to talk about an actual good movie that he had nothing to do with, except well, technically not. That's not true because Skywalker Sound is what does the uh, sound effects on this. But I like, God damn, these fucking hiccups. <laughs> but I like to believe that George Lucas wasn't even around when this was going on, or else he would have put a fucking laser beam or some shit in here, and, like just snuck it in. And also, this is one of the few Spielbergs that do, at the time that doesn't mention fucking Star Wars or some shit like that. There's no reference to Yoda yeah. or any of the Star Wars garbage in this movie. Now, so this movie won three Oscars, all based around sound and effects. So it won Best Sound, Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing, and Best Effects Visual Effects. Okay. And I mean, all well, well deserved because, like, uh, that's what, like, the good, the good acting and the good writing is what keeps it, is what you're staying for. But the visual effects and sound effects are what you're going for. Absolutely. Because they, they finish off the movie, you know, it's, it's not a full movie without those. Mm hmm. Otherwise, it's just people talking and uh, delivering great dialogue, but with like nothing around them. You know, it's there is no welcome to Jurassic Park without the great CGI of the dinosaurs walking out of the the waiting pool. And God damn, does George Lucas know how to do an ending scene? 
You mean Steven Spielberg, motherfucker. <laughs> George Lucas doesn't know how to do shit. <laughs> I said that just to piss off Ross. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was intentional, wasn't it, Mike? I'm sure it was. <laughs> you know I have these brain farts all the time. <laughs> so that, yeah, and I'm telling you, but every scene, not even just the ending. Again, a legendary ending scene. But, every- but they chose to just literally steal for Jurassic World. Yeah, I mean, everything that came after Jurassic Park in this franchise is so downhill. It's amazing. But the best part, the okay, you can point to a part in this movie that is so patently ridiculous, but it works on a, so many different levels. It's when Ellie, they have, um, they have gotten back from uh, finding out that um, uh, Samuel Jackson is dead. She has escaped the raptor. She is with Malcolm. They're talking to Grant. And she's and he says, you're sure that that third raptor is locked up? And she says, well, yeah, unless they learn how to open doors. And then the next scene is a raptor opening a fucking door. <laughs> but I mean, that, my cats have opened doors, so, you but know. That scene <laughs> is set up in the beginning of the movie by Muldoon saying, they sh- they're extremely intelligent, even problem-solving intelligent. Right there, you're like, well, that makes fucking sense because this thing opened the goddamn door and had a problem. It solved it. Whereas in, like, Jurassic Park 3, they might as well be flying helicopters, yeah. you know? it's They're fucking ridiculous in that movie. <laughs> uh, and now one thing with this movie is it basically inspired what most people think dinosaurs looked like. <laughs> yeah exactly and that's the thing like then th- that is one of the things that they do mention in a, one of the later sequels i think it's jurassic world yeah where they're like we add things to make them you want them scarier you want them you want no you said more teeth he's, yeah. he's like yeah it's like if you want these things realistic most of them wouldn't look like what they look like yeah and that's that's bd wong's character fucking dr Wu. yeah yeah dr Wu should a should not have a job after this movie but somehow he does <laughs> and it's but yeah it's they they would have feathers and shit like that but it's it's so influential on just general knowledge it's a fucking movie and based off of a book you know just a made-up book and all of a sudden this is like influencing how millions upon billions of people think dinosaurs look you know it was a fucking movie (laughs) and we didn't even bring up newman who was just playing newman but well, he's playing Sinister Newman, you know? <laughs> is Newman nerd. not slightly sinister? <laughs> well, Newman is, but he's more like, um, he's more like harmless. He's more like prankster, like, you know, like uh, sinister. <laughs> Whereas Nedry is legitimately trying to upend an entire corporation, you know? <laughs> you think they pur- do you think they purposely made named him Nedry because you switch the R and the D and he's just nerdy? <laughs> well that yeah, yeah basically well that's the thing with the book the book i recently reread the book not you know weeks ago but a couple months ago you know during quarantine and all that but the book there's so many differences uh for one lex and tim are age swapped <laughs> lex is the younger one tim is the older one and then there's hammond is a complete full-on madman he is just nuts and all he wants is like his dinosaur park to be fucking successful with crazy dinosaur shit but nedry is more of like a skinny kind of twerp kind of like 
like snidely whiplash, like muscle, like mustache twirling, like evil kind of guy. And same thing with uh, Malcolm. Malcolm's more of like a balding, like um, Stanley Tucci type. He's not rock star that we get. Uh, so if we're going modern day, I feel like Stanley Tucci might be who you cast as. Actually, I don't know what the age difference between Tucci and uh, Goldblum is, but I do feel like Tucci would be a good cast as a Goldblum-esque character. Well, I was thinking he'd be good as Nedry. <laughs> you know? He'd be pretty good as Nedry. But I don't I like I I like when he does like silly things. It's, I don't know. Like I love him as like Caesar Flickerman in uh <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's definitely got the range. He could do all of it. But the thing is, we haven't quite come full circle to remaking Jurassic Park straight up. We're yeah. just doing sequels at this point. And you you couldn't have a worse director to be in charge of the sequels now fucking colin trevorrow is god awful yeah and one of his oh my god fallen kingdom was so terrible well have you heard his comment about falling kingdom no somebody was like why don't you make it essentially they were like why don't you make it off the walls you introduce human cloning why don't you make dinosaur human hybrids blah 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 whatever blah, blah 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 he said that the scariest thing about a dinosaur and the most compelling thing about a dinosaur is for you to be out camping and one to suddenly show up at your fire, your campfire. When I saw that, I was like, wow, talk about somebody who does not understand this fucking franchise, doesn't understand what makes dinosaurs compelling. The fact that they could suddenly show up at a fucking s'mores roast doesn't make them scary, dude. That makes them fucking weird in the woods, you know? You need them to be interacting in the real world, not isolated in the fucking woods, you moron. You know, what's the matter? And also, also, is a T-Rex, like, I get the raptor sneaking up on you at a campfire. I get that angle. But you're telling me what makes a T-Rex scary is it suddenly showing up on, come on, man, that thing, how many tons does that weigh? You're, you're feeling that coming your way. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if all of a sudden, if I'm sitting at a campfire and I'm roasting my marshmallows and all of a sudden a T-Rex's head shows up, my first thought isn't, oh my God, I shit my pants. My first thought is, wait, where the fuck did you come from? <laughs> like, I'm not scared. I'm like, I'm confused as hell. And- or mad at myself for being so oblivious that I let a T-Rex sneak up on me. Right, exactly. Like, I deserve exactly. to die at this point. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. It's like, fucking eat me. Like, what is wrong with me? But that's, and that's the thing with Fallen Kingdom. There is so much garbage in that movie, but there is a nugget of a good movie in there. And it's when they mention the fact that the little girl is a fucking clone. You know, it's like, okay, we've cloned humans. We have cloned dinosaurs. Can't we get a madman who wants a dinosaur human kid? Yeah, are we are we getting the dinosaur equivalent of Skynet going on? Like <laughs> something like that, just something that isn't dinosaurs dinosaur human super soldiers right if if it's anything that's not a dinosaur tiptoeing up to your campfire because that's terrifying to colin trevorrow because he's a fucking pussy you know the man goddamn asshole like so all right so they're like oh it's jurassic world now how many dinosaurs escaped 40 50 we have tanks we have helicopters you can take down 40 or 50 dinosaurs and even 
even in the off chance that the army or military couldn't handle a few rogue dinos who are, as you just mentioned, very not bulletproof. You know, the thing is, though, we're not doing that. You need to have a world infested by dinosaurs. You need to have dinosaurs as an actual threat to the world. The, the one threat that they seem to have was the Mosasaurus under the wave. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and even that, it's just a scene for the trailer. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, it shows up at the end of the fucking movie. The Mosasaurus is a key part in the beginning and then at the end of the movie. Just like Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. The source is Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing with this movie. This, I firmly believe, is Goldblum's greatest performance. It is his best character. It's his most legendary character. Everything about Ian Malcolm is so perfectly Goldblum. And he mm-hmm. plays it absolutely perfectly. You can't get anybody else to play it to the level that he did this. It's impossible. Yeah, no. Because I couldn't he, even think of a recasting for it no. if we tried. And that's the thing. When Hammond says you'll have to excuse Dr. Malcolm, he suffers from an excessive, deplorable excess of personality. That is Jeff fucking Goldblum right there. And it's so good because all the little shit that he does, like all the stuff that's become a meme nowadays, like that little laugh, that weird ass laugh he does, grabbing Hammond's little leg when he's trying to make a point and pissing him off that way. Then, of course, the, the son of a bitch, he did it. The crazy son of a bitch did it, you know? <laughs> like that, it's so Life uh, finds a way. Yeah, life finds a way. The rape of the natural world. The, the whole rape of the natural world <laughs> argument is such great writing and great performances. Like that, and that's what this movie is top to bottom. Great movie, great writing, great performances. You you can't get better than this original Jurassic Park. And that's why every movie in the franchise has completely failed after that. Jurassic World, when I first saw that, when it first came out, was okay because yeah. it, it it was the best that we'd seen since the original. Yeah, upon rewatching, you find a lot of issues with Jurassic Right, it World. falls apart. and But Falling Kingdom, to talk about going from one of the better highs even though, you know, re- initial highs, I'll say, to initial lows, because my wife and I walked out of Fallen Kingdom, looked at each other and went, well, that fucking sucked. You know, it's like, it wasn't even, we don't even need a rewatch. We just God. know it fucking sucks. So yeah, there's a reason I saw Fallen Kingdom. You know why I saw Fallen Kingdom? Because I was driving my mom to her surgery to get her appendix out, and I needed something to do for three hours. I wanted to go watch Endgame again, but there wasn't a good show time. So I was like, oh, Fallen Kingdom. I'll give it a shot. And then I walked out, and I'm like, I would have rather gotten my appendix out. (laughs) Right, right. I wish I was getting my surgery performed on me as well. No, it's... I don't need an appendix. Why risk it rupturing? Just take it out of me too, Doc. It's a vestigial organ. Who gives a shit? But there's... there Again, like with this movie, and it's like we've said, performances, directing, everything. And then there's even just the little lines like in the little performances, like Nedry saying, Dodson, we got Dodson here. See, nobody cares. You know, it's that's, like that. that's one thing. This movie also has several memes, which is Absolutely. like, so you have Nedry doing the see, nobody cares. You have the, you son of a bitch, you did it meme. Yup. 
Yeah, um, and then, you have the clever you, girl meme. Cle- okay, for one, clever girl is the best line of the entire movie. <laughs> I love this movie so much, but no line stacks up to clever girl. It is so <laughs> fucking good. And then, of course, now I'm anybody who's listening to this is not that is not that familiar with Jurassic Park, but you like to watch it. Watch the first Jurassic Park, and I guarantee you. When you watch Muldoon, Bob Peck, RIP, great actor. He does the Muldoon look, and it's one of my favorite things in any movie ever. He'll say something ridiculously important, and then he'll do this weird neck turn with, like, like his eyes wide open. And it's just kind of like he, like, it's like someone screamed off screen, went, hey, motherfucker. And he was like, what? It like just had this look, and it's like every time he says something when you're watching this movie now, you'll notice it, and it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now Clever Girl is the uh, is the top line on IMDb. Can you guess what the second line is? Because it is my favorite line of the movie. Now, Clever Girl, I agree, is the most iconic line of the movie, and it's probably the best line of the movie. But my favorite line of the movie. Is it the Pirates of the Caribbean one? It is the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, it's so good because that's the thing. I feel like a modern blockbusters would have a line like that and they would almost wait for the audience to stop laughing because that's your screamer. That's your, that's your big yeah. fucking line right there. That's your trailer line. But when Goldberg That's your uh, billionaire playboy philanthropist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's like you throw all that in there. But when the way Goldblum says it, it's like, oh, this dude is just, that's just the shit he would say at that time. You know, it's just the natural reaction to that. One of my other favorites is the lesser line, too, is when they're initially on the tour and they go through the initial big Jurassic Park gate. You hear Goldblum say, who they got in there, King Kong? <laughs> it's like, yeah, because that's like the gates of fucking King Kong. It's like, that's the shit that Malcolm would say. It's everything now, is so natural <laughs> out of these characters. It's, it's amazing. Now, have you been on the Jurassic Park Universal Studios ride? Uh, has, how long has it been around? I may have been. Probably early 2000s. Early I, may have, I may have been part of my school trip. I don't remember. Uh, the ride's awesome. It's it's recently been changed to the Jurassic World ride, but I, it hasn't actually changed that much. You got to keep up with the franchise. Yeah. They got to rebrand. Yeah, but uh, it's a riverboat tour through Jurassic Park, and they have all the animatronic dinosaurs and stuff. Nice. And it turns into a log flume at the end where it's like you look at the T-Rex is about to eat you, and then the door opens and you go down the log flume. Nice. Yeah, and, and I what, the Jurassic Park or now the Jurassic World Discovery Center is awesome. I bet is that do you get to like raise a raptor or something? Yeah, you go in there like you can uncover dinosaur bones. You they have like they it, it's mostly for kids, but they do have like a, a, you get to sweep stuff. <laughs> you get to sweep mm-hmm. dirt. Awesome. They're like computer simulations with hatching eggs and stuff, and yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah, they're yeah, that's and that's all stuff that you you kind of have to have when you get a ride. Like, but that's the thing. There's that's a scene a scene from the book 
there's this whole like river chase with Grant and the kids and a T-Rex. And the T-Rex is like swimming in the in the river. And it's like, oh, this would have been a great scene in the movie, you know? But the question is like, where do you fit it in? I mean, the movie as it sits is perfect. Mm-hmm. except for of course everyone's favorite mystery cliff you know <laughs> where yeah. the t-rex comes out of the paddock but all of a sudden there's a 50 foot drop you know when yeah. the when the, when the uh, car has to go over it that's um one thing that i always had a problem with with jurassic park 3 is they paint the spinosaurus to be a bigger threat than the t-rex every archaeological Everyone who thinks of like studies dinosaurs will tell you a Spinosaurus, though technically bigger than a T Rex, would absolutely get bodied in a one on one fight with a T Rex. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the greatest like apex predator to ever walk the earth. You know, it's, and that's the thing. Like, I think, I think I saw something recently with T Rex too that they may not have been as fast as allegedly claimed. Yeah. But they still were like killing machines. <laughs> no, no, apparently, upon further studies, they're more scavengers than anything. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it was. But still, I mean, it's like they they still have like the strongest bite force ever. <laughs> yeah. So you're not getting away. You're like Gennaro, you know. Once you get bit yeah. on that toilet, you're fucked, you know. But yeah, there is God, there everything. Like we've said, everything about this movie, and of course, we haven't even mentioned yet, Samuel L. fucking Jackson is in this movie. And he's awesome. He, he's just he flat out amazing. You know, something I realized after rewatching this movie, Samuel L. Jackson dies a lot more than I thought he did in movies. Yeah, he's almost like the Sean Bean of the, of, uh, the non-Sean Bean movies, you know? I used to think, uh, for some reason, I had this conceived mo- notion going up that Samuel L. Jackson doesn't usually die in movies. But then, you know, I actually started watching movie seriously. And I'm like, he dies in like 70% of his movies. And when he dies, he dies pretty spectacularly. Like uh, His best death is in a terrible movie. In Deep Blue Sea? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And of course, this death is off screen because all we get is his severed arm in, uh, yeah. in this movie. But... He's got. He's also got the great one of the best lines. Hold on to your butts. Yeah. You know he's got that. He's got the constant like cigarette smoke around him because he's chain smoking like crazy in this movie. And he's he's one of the ones where like and the thing that got me for a while with this movie like with you with uh, Lex getting sneezed on with me it's when he they show the close up of his mouth and he's saying access main program access main security grid all that he's got a cigarette in his mouth. But it's like the filter. He is smoking yeah. the filter at that point. It's like, come on, dude. You know, as an ex-smoker, it's like, you, come on. It's time to let a new one, you know? <laughs> smoking a filter is fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't praise this movie enough. Just like right. practical effect. And if you've never seen it in theaters, you've never seen it properly. No. And yeah, like, and that's the thing. This is one of the, this is actually the only movie my parents ever took me to see in theaters twice and there have been a few movies i've seen in movie in theaters twice but this my parents specifically took yeah. me to because i was i was 11 and uh, 12 when i saw it because we I saw the, it during its full run <laughs> so i think the first movie i ever saw in theaters twice was actually the first avengers yeah yeah i i actually saw that in theaters three times 
Yeah, but it's like big event movies nowadays. Yeah. A lot of people see multiple times. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you have a movie that's in theaters for almost 500 days in a row. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost mathematically impossible to not see it multiple times in theaters. Yeah. And even though it wasn't the number one movie in the box office the whole time, it's it's one of those movies that's like, it's still there. It's still great. We want to go to the movies. There's nothing new. Let's fucking go see Jurassic Park again, you know? It's yeah. like, it's it's just that good is what it is. It, and it's like it's like Star Wars. It's it's like Indiana Jones. It's like Jaws. You want to see them in theaters. Like seeing them on DVD is awesome, but seeing them on theaters is another level. I don't know, man. I got the 4K and a sound bar. It's on a big 55 inch TV. It's it's pretty good that way. But like I obviously, you know, you have your gigantic movie screen and the surround sound thx sound it's obviously the step up but we can get close with home video nowadays (laughs) but and this is another movie that i've owned on every possible home video medium you know it's like i started with vhs went to dvd you know blu-ray 4k all that the only thing i didn't have was a fucking laser disc you know but it's it's so and it's that's the thing like we've been talking about blockbusters all month this is the king shit granddaddy of them all because while jaws was the first one this was the biggest one you know yeah and of course the man responsible for it is fucking steven spielberg i mean he's the king of the blockbuster he is and there's a reason for that because the man is a hell of a director, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's had his flops, but the man's the king of the blockbuster. And his flops have come more than, more recently. Yeah. You know, he, it's, but which is just natural for, you know, a director. No one's perfect. Even Scorsese's had some garbage, you know? it's. Mm-hmm. I would argue the Irishman isn't, it's not garbage, but it it's it not good. Best. It ain't his best. But like, there's yeah there's there's but then there's like the other blockbuster like directors that you can think of like michael bay garbage just spectacle and garbage is what it is you know it's they're they're your classic popcorn movies you know you buy popcorn you shove it in your face and all of a sudden it's done two and a half hours later you know because it got to be ridiculously long nowadays but like then of course there's the other franchise that we're going to talk about next week is the fast and the furious franchise you know it's 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 mission impossible for fucking meatheads is what it yeah. is and it's it, it's you got to give them credit no matter how ridiculous they are they are wholly original ridiculous you know it's you know i we've discussed it i like hobbs and shaw i liked it <laughs> it's not i mean it's it's not bad it's an obvious cash grab but it's it's not terrible you know you, you know what my- you know what the Fast and the Furious is it's the nickelback of movies. <laughs> well, the first Fast and the Furious is point break with cars, but yeah. But I'm saying the franchise is the nickelback of movies. It's popular to poke fun at them, but at the end of the day, they're making a ton of money. And honestly, they're not that bad. <laughs> yeah, and it, and at a certain point, they're just fun to listen to, you know. Yeah. It's, Nickelback is obviously not my favorite, but there are some songs where I'm like, all right, okay, this is all right, you know. It's kind of like Creed. Creed sucks, 
but there's one or two songs where you're like all right <laughs> this guy this is kind of catchy you know <laughs> but but with fast and furious it's like a hobbs and especially hobbs and shaw like it's got one of my black favorite superman <laughs> right i'm black superman it's great yeah i love that fucking line and then of course there's vanessa kirby who you know she's my british like crush you know i got my i got my australian one in samara and then i got my british crush in vanessa kirby you know and but it's like these movies they they're they're spectacle movies like they know how to make things insane and f9 i can only imagine what the fuck's gonna happen in that what john is john cena is now uh vin diesel's little brother. brother he's paul walker's brother he's brian whatever o'connor's brother in that movie so oh, I thought he, uh, on the when I watched the uh, the trailer, I thought it was Vin Diesel's brother. No, I always thought I thought he was uh, Paul Walker's brother. I'm not sure. I, for some reason, I'm thinking he might actually. He's uh, where we go? Where we go? Where we go? John Cena is just he's just credited as Jacob on um. I, I thought I saw one of the trailers. Where, uh, like, it's Vin Diesel spouting his whatever about family. Always. And then John Cena shows up. He's like, you talk about family, but you abandoned me, brother. Eh, it could be. It could make sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But, um, I mean, I mean, anything's up for grabs at this point. You know, they introduced Jason Statham as um, Luke whatever's uh, brother. You know, yeah. it's it's like we, we just introduce whoever, whenever. Who cares? Yeah, that's what I, but I'm like. Fast and the Furious one, we get a pretty inside look at Dom's family. Where the fuck is the missing little brother? <laughs> well, that's, that's your case of sequelitis right there. You know, it's what do we do to introduce something new? Oh, long lost relatives. We haven't hit that one yet. Perfect. 20, 20 years later, literally right. 20 years later, Fast and the Furious one was 2001, I think. I believe it was. I believe it was. Yeah, that's. Oh boy, it's been a while, but we will talk about that more in depth next week. And yes, but as to finish this off, Jurassic Park, I fucking love this movie. And that it's your favorite movie of all time, right? It no, well, well, my favorite movie of all time is Airplane or Blazing Saddles, they rotate, but number three, firm, solid with a bullet, Jurassic Park. And you know? So, Jurassic Park's in my top 10. I'm not sure exactly where it falls. Yeah, it's yeah for me number three right there it's, it's definitely my top 10 but i'm not sure exactly where in my top 10 i'd have to think out that list so or good. you know what i'm gonna say top nine because one of the things we're also always said yeah <laughs> i always pick random tops i'll say like top a fucking even number one mike it's like yeah my top seven and a half movies of all time <laughs> are all of these and then the second harry potter deathly hollows because i consider part one and part two one movie so it's half a movie right there you know <laughs> but yeah, for, for the record deathly hollows part two does not make my top 10 movies list <laughs> yeah it makes your top 11 <laughs> but hey, man that doesn't even make my top three harry potter movies list <laughs> see our harry potter episodes for more on, on mike's thoughts about harry potter but for the yeah. record number three is the best harry potter movie we established that yeah. like a month ago <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you don't feel like going to listen to that episode just know number three is the best <laughs> right, right. Yeah, spoiler alert you'll have to listen to it don't give us more page loads more uh more lessons just listen to this <laughs> but anyway so yeah 
we had to end on Jurassic Park because you know blockbusters. We're just not talking about blockbusters without it. But uh, yeah, so Mike, we have uh, come to the end of our blockbuster bonanza. Where can uh, before next week? Where can people find us on the internet for your? I keep saying streaming experience, streaming pleasure. I was trying to think of something different, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I think we're still in streaming experience. I streaming experience. All right. For your streaming experience, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you like to listen to your podcast for your drive to work or whatever. We are at Happy Hour Films Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Go give us a like, give us a follow, uh, comment, shoot us a message. We'll love to hear from you absolutely absolutely we loved uh we love interacting with strangers on the internet oh yeah uh, we, we don't listen to our parents about not talking to strangers <laughs> yeah fuck it we'll do it who cares tell you meet some of the best badass <laughs> yeah we don't give a shit we don't care yeah we're, we're fast and furious when it comes to that shit you know <laughs> so speaking of that we will next week we're in between we are, uh, we're going to, but we're going to talk about some, not technically quite in between, I would say we're more sticking with the blockbusters. So I'm going to, we're going to talk about modern blockbusters, which nowadays in 2021, there's nothing bigger than the MCU and the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is what we're going to get into. Uh, we could have gotten into the modern Star Wars movies, but we didn't want to. <laughs> good, well, we technically already did. So, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. But, um, but I mean, of course there's also not, 25 and uh nine of those movies well there are nine star wars movies but there are no well i no modern star wars we got so the three we got the three in the trilogy we got rogue one we got solo so we, we got, got five 11. we got we got 11 total star wars movies but so i guess plus do- the mandalorian which is the best modern star wars material right yeah but we already talked about all that with our Star yeah. Wars episode. So, but so next week, yeah, we'll talk about the MCU. I I don't plan on rewatching everything. I'll probably no. I'll probably watch a couple of uh, each, but uh, especially the Fast and the Furious because it's been a while since I've caught up on that. But um, yeah, yeah, I gotta. I think I've only seen like the newer Fast and the Furious once, maybe. I don't. I'm not sure I've even watched eight. Yeah, that's the one where they introduced Charlize Theron as the uh, girl, white girl with dreadlocks. So that's that. But um, yeah, so if anything, I'll probably go back and watch the first Fast and the Furious just to see that time capsule of 2001. Oh, yeah. how, uh, how dated that fucking movie ends up being. But um, in the meantime, till then, uh, I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McWiggan. And we'll see you guys next time. So long. <laughs>